Hear now the word of God from Ephesians chapter 2, the 11th through the 22nd verses. So then, remember that at one time, you Gentiles by birth, called the uncircumcision by those who are called the circumcision, a physical circumcision made in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace. In his flesh he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall that is the hostility between us. He has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity. Uh, I lost my place. <laughs> that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace, and might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death that hostility through it. So he came and proclaimed peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him both of us have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone, in him, the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would the children come forward now? Is that what it means? You don't think so? What do you think it means? 
Well, here's an example from the Bible. We've heard a lot about King David today. Here's an example that might help. There's another king in Judah named Josiah. And King Josiah, the Bible tells us, was a good king. And it tells us that the reason he was known as a good king is that he walked in the way of his father David. He walked in the way of his father David. Now, King David was really more like his great, 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 great grandfather. So King Josiah never actually saw how King David takes steps, whether he takes little steps or big steps. But again, that's not really what it was talking about, when it's, was it, when, when the Bible says he walked in the way of his father David. But rather, it was saying that King Josiah was a good king because he lived like David did. He made decisions like David did. He sought to please God like David did. We read that, that King David was a man after God's own heart. So he did live trying to please God, and that's what it means when it says that King Josiah walked in the way of his father David. Would you pray with me? Dear God, we pray that we may each learn more about you and how you would have us walk. That is, how we should live our lives so as to please you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. Good morning. It is my great privilege to bring the message this morning, and I plan to preach from the epistle reading, from that reading uh, from Ephesians. But I dare not to do so without first seeking God's help. So you join your hearts with mine in the word of prayer. Lord, may the words of my mouth be to the praise of your glory and to the edification of each one present here this morning. Amen. Now, as with much of Paul's writing, the reading this morning from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 12, might seem a bit dense and intimidating. So let's see if we can unpack it a bit. The NRSV, which is what our few Bibles are, begins this passage with the words, so then. But the NASV, the NIV, the ESV, and the New King James all begin this passage with the word, therefore. Therefore, and we know that when studying the Bible, if we encounter the word therefore, we should look at the context to see what that word was therefore. The word therefore is a transitional term to link what the writer is about to say with what the writer has just said. So we can't really begin consideration of a passage that begins with the word therefore unless we back up to get the context, the prior point made by the writer. In the case of this passage, the thought begins back at the beginning of this chapter, back in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Selecting key phrases from the first seven verses of this chapter, we read, You were dead 
in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked, but to God, but God made us alive together with Christ. We were dead, but now we're alive. We have been saved from that sentence of death. But how did this happen? Well, we get that in verses 8 through 10, where we read, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So first note that we formally walk, not with big steps or silly steps, but we formally walk in our trespasses and sins. But once we have been saved, we should now walk in the good works which God prepared beforehand for us to walk in. As I discussed with the children, when the Bible talks about how we walk, it is not referring to those big steps or small steps or silly steps, but rather it is referring to how we live our lives. So how did we get from the path where we walked in our trespasses and sins to the path lined with the good works that we are called to walk in? Well, verse 8, as we just saw, says that it was by grace, that it was by grace that we have been saved. Well, grace is sometimes described as unmerited favor. The way I like to describe it is that grace is getting what we don't deserve. And that's evident in this passage because we read that it is the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast. You see the distinction. When we work for something, we have then earned our reward. We then have wages coming to us, which we have earned. But a gift is something given, given to us without us having earned it, without, without it being wages. It's, it's simply a gift. So in, a, a gift is an act of grace on the part of the one giving it. And it is getting something we don't deserve, something we haven't earned on the part of the one receiving. We see then that we are saved by something that God did, rather than by any works that we did. But what does this passage then go on to say about good works? It says that the God who did save us solely by his grace also prepared good works for us that we should then walk in them. We might say then that we are not saved by good works, but we are saved for good works. Put another way, good works on our part is not a requirement for our salvation, but it should be our response to our salvation. And that gets us up to the therefore, the therefore that began this morning's reading. So the therefore should be read in the light of this prior context that we just reviewed, which we might summarize as follows. You have been saved from the death of sin and made alive in Christ Jesus as a gift of grace from God, who also prepared good works for you to walk in, therefore. Therefore, so let's now look at what the therefore is transitioning us to. And what it transitions us to is a description of who we are once we have been saved by grace. It's often helpful when reading a passage of the Bible to make a list of related statements found in that passage. And in this passage, 
there are a number of statements that pertain to who we are. Who we are. Let's take a look. First, notice that it is addressed to you Gentiles. You Gentiles. Well, that would apply to all of us who are not raised as Jews. The passage then goes on to characterize the Gentiles as being physically distinct from the Jews in that the Gentiles were uncircumcised. But today, Gentiles often are circumcised as well, so, so that physical distinction has lost some of its relevance. But it next says, remember that, at, remember that you were at that time, you were at that time, that is before being saved by grace, and, and then with some of the characteristics of the Gentile condition prior to salvation. It says we were without Christ, aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Wow, that's pretty bleak, isn't it? To be without Christ, having no hope, without God in the world, that's what it means to be dead in our trespasses and sins. And aren't we glad the story doesn't end there? So the next thing we read at the beginning of verse 13 is, but now, but now, that word but can be wonderful. The word but in the Bible is sometimes just a great transition. We were hopeless and without God, but now, but now we are something else. We should be eager to read what comes next because we were hopeless, but now we are what? Well, what does it say? But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We were far off. We're far off from what? Well, for one thing, we were far off from salvation. In that, we were, we were dead in our sin, and we were hopeless to do anything about it. We were unable to make ourselves alive. And we read back up in verses 4 and 5 that while we were yet in that helpless, hopeless state, it was God who made us alive with Christ. Then we read here in verse 13 that it was specifically the blood of Christ by which we were made alive, by which we were brought near to God. But there's another sense in which this passage tells us that we were far off. Our earlier list included a couple of statements that we have not yet commented on. It says that as Gentiles, we were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and that we were strangers to the covenants of promise. What is that talking about? Well, the commonwealth of Israel is simply a way of referring to the Jews, to those who are descended from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the Gentiles, by, not, by definition, are not Jews. And thus the Gentiles are aliens, or foreigners, or strangers with respect to the commonwealth of Israel. And the covenants of promise refers to covenants or promises that God made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to their descendants, to the Jews. So if, as Gentiles, we were aliens or strangers to the commonwealth of Israel, we were also strangers to any promises that God made to Israel. But now... We who once were far off from these things have been brought near. Look again at verses 14 through 18. We see that Christ has made both groups, that is, Jews who have been saved by grace through faith, and Gentiles who have been saved by grace through faith, into one. 
we read that both groups are reconciled to God in the same way, which is through the cross. Through the cross, that is, through the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ on our behalf. This salvation is good news to the Gentile, because as we have seen, the Gentiles were out of the loop altogether, hopeless and without God. And it's equally good news to the Jew, because while the Jews were recipients of the covenant made with their ancestors, that covenant carried both a blessing and a curse. A blessing if they kept all the requirements of the law, and a curse if they did not. And since no one succeeds in keeping all the requirements of the law, to be under the law was to be under the curse of the law, as Paul wrote to, to the Galatians, as we read in Galatians 3.10. Thus, when Paul says to the Ephesians here at chapter 2, verse 15, that Christ has abolished the law, what he is saying is that Christ has removed the penalty, the curse of the law for us. And he did not do so by declaring the law to be invalid. But rather, Christ said, remember in Matthew, Matthew 5, 17, Christ said, Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill, to fulfill. That is, Jesus did not declare the curse of the law to no longer apply, but rather he fulfilled the penalty of the curse for us. Again, looking to Galatians, at Galatians 3.13, we read, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. And that's why we read here in Ephesians that Christ removed the hostility of the law through the cross. That's what it says. It says, through the cross. Because the penalty for sin under the law is death. And Christ suffered that death on our behalf on the cross. Having done so, we're told that we now have a new identity. Let's make another list to see the characteristics of this new identity, to see who we now are, beginning at verse 18. It says, we have access through the Spirit to the Father. We are citizens with the saints. We are members of the household of God, and we are a spiritual dwelling place for God. How wonderful is that? Can I get an amen? Amen. We who were previously helpless, hopeless, and without God in the world are now fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. That's why it's appropriate for us to call one another brother and sister. We're members of the same family, the family of God. But you know, when we become part of a family, how we behave then reflects on that family's reputation. Imagine, for example, I didn't tell them I was going to say this, but imagine, for example, that I were to fall on hard times and Kevin and Melissa were to take me in. And imagine that they then adopted me. I would then be a fool. Sure, I know there would be other units to adopt an old geezer like me, but just for the sake of the story, let's stick with it. So, so um, I'm, I'm now a fool, and what if I then start hanging out in Hillsborough and snatching purses from little old ladies? And what if I were to then get caught doing it? There would be a headline in the paper about Rob Poole stealing from little old ladies. How would that make the Poole family look? Not very good, right? So when we have become part of a family, we should behave in a manner that will not bring shame upon that family name. 
And so it is for us when we become members of the family of God. We should respond by acting in a way that will bring honor to God. Our, mind, our mindset should not be, what can I get away with? Or what do I have the right to do? We hear a lot about that these, these days. Well, I have the right to, to do this or that. Or why is there no law against me doing That's not the mindset it's, it's calling us to. But rather, our mindset should be, what will encourage and build up my neighbor? What will encourage and build up my neighbor? And more importantly, what will bring glory to God? Of the decisions before me, will it encourage my neighbor? Will it bring glory to God? That's what our mindset should be. Let us go forth rejoicing and giving thanks that we have been adopted into the family of God. And let us walk in those good works that God prepared beforehand. And let me just close with, with one additional thought. The Bible does tell us to rejoice and give thanks in all things. But sometimes, sometimes, particularly when we're in the midst of, of heartache or tragedy, we might wonder what we can rejoice about or give thanks for. Well, in this morning's passage, we find a reason for rejoicing and giving thanks that has nothing to do with our circumstances. It's a reminder that regardless of the difficulties of this world, we who have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, we have an eternal identity that is glorious. Being reminded of who we are, we can rejoice and give thanks knowing that we now belong to the family of God. Amen. 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 Amen.